0: Welcome to the Hinterland Baptist Unplug and Reset podcast, a podcast all about helping you achieve change and personal growth through our Reset Challenge. The goal? To help you pull the plug on stress, insecurity, and depression, and replenish you spiritually, mentally, socially, and physically. And now your host, Pastor Chris Miller.
1: Hi, Natalie. How's it going?
0: I'm pretty good. How are you going today?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks. Um, That's yeah, good. well, thanks for tuning in or, or being part of this. I really appreciate it.
0: That's not a problem at all. Um, it's actually pretty exciting for me cause I'm getting ready for a big year. So, um, yeah, it's perfect timing really for me. So cool. yeah, good. thank yeah. you for having me.
1: Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, just to kind of bring you up to speed on what we're doing a little bit and then, uh, we'll, Talk about what you do and who you are. Um, we are through the month of January. What we're doing is we've uh, we have an initiative called Unplug and Reset. And each week through January, what we're doing is we are taking um, uh, each week to talk about a different area of personal health and well-being: spiritual, mental, social, physical, and financial. And today, you and I are going to have a conversation about mental health, um, which I know is is near and dear to your heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, I work with people every day in this space. Um, also, emotional well being, I think, mm. comes into it because we're a whole person. So, and also the spiritual part of ourselves as well. So, I'm fairly holistic in my approach. Um, that's what I love. And yeah, my, my clients seem to embrace that and seem to get it. So yeah, it's really easy to talk to people about this subject because yeah, you're right. I work with it every day. So yeah.
1: that's Very cool. So what is your business called?
0: Um, so I'm the founder of Cogni Academy counseling and supervision on the gold coast, Australia. And I have a Master of Counselling and I'm passionate about serving women that have experienced abuse and trauma, um, Mm. especially that perinatal trauma. So I'm a Level 3 member of the Australian Counselling Association and part of the ACA's College of Supervisors. So we generally abbreviate or have lots of acronyms in this profession. (laughs) So I will like try to explain that as we go. But I work with lots of different groups of people. Um, And here's some more acronyms for you. So there's a thing called the EAP, which means Employee Assistance Program. Mm -hmm. And so the participants that Basically, they go to work and their employer invests in their mental health and wellbeing by employing someone like me to come alongside them if and when they need it, um, that additional support. So that's really awesome that businesses are embracing that for their employees.
1: Mm, That is great. So I
0: work work with that group of people. I also work with (laughs) the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So the NDIS and participants of that. So that's a bit tricky, because it's a big beast. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the government had rolled this out. And, but they're really empowering the individual to connect with people like me to support them in their mental health and well being. But there's a few different people that A part of that. So it's almost like being part of the case of, or casework for that person. So there's lots of people that do that. Um, And then mental, uh, or yeah, just the women and families for PND and PTSD from childbirth. So what I mean by that is postnatal depression, or post-traumatic stress disorder. So not everybody's gonna have PTSD from childbirth. It usually is defined by a near-death experience. So it's pretty rare, one in 50,000 women um, Mm. worldwide. So yeah, it's a a bit of a rare one, but I also supervise other practitioners as well. Um, Mm. So psychotherapists, sports and school chaplains, spiritual responders, hospital pastoral carers, pastors, and I convene for the Australian Counselling Association, which is a meeting once a month for Gold Coast Chapter. So that basically is a heap of us get together who are associated with the ACA and we do professional development and um, supervision. So group supervision. So that's basically it
1: that's a lot isn't it that's a lot yeah (laughs) you sound very very busy
0: i am i have my hand in a lot of pies so to speak uh which is one of my supervisors is exactly the same as i am (laughs) Mm, maybe i've adopted it from her modeling i don't know yeah
1: yeah after you said all that i i feel even more grateful that you've taken the time to do this
0: yeah thank you i I see it as an investment uh, in your audience, so I think they're worth it, and especially in this current climate um, that we're dealing with in regards to COVID. So oh, it's yeah, been, super been such important. a crazy year. Yeah. I know, right? Have, yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, just to now, you, we're on a bit of a time frame today. Is that correct? You've got like about an hour. Oh. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, we could go over by about 30 minutes. Um okay. So hopefully we'll get through everything in that Got a little time. bit of
1: breathing room there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but cool. We'll try to smash it out if you want to.
1: <clears throat> well, I thought maybe if, if it's cool with you. I thought maybe what we could start with is sometimes I know among Christians, we, there's some different feelings about mental health and well-being and sometimes a person they might feel a little bit less spiritual if they struggle with anxiety or depression but you know we look at like the book of Psalms for instance and you read stuff David wrote and obviously he he wrestled with that as well but um, do you think that that's gotten better over time or what are some ways maybe that we might be able to overcome that kind of stigma that comes along with that
0: yeah, well, I think the short answer is yes, there's still sig- stigma, um, so there's still some understanding to gain when we're considering our mental health and the recent campaigns from other organisations like okay. Lifeline, Beyond Blue and other big type, um, big hitters mm-hmm. um, has really improved this understanding, but I don't think we've arrived yet. So arriving isn't necessarily getting to that destination or the goal. Um, It's more about how we navigate, so the values, the morals, the culture, the core beliefs, to getting to the destination. So Mm. when we begin to overcome, first we kind of connect with self-awareness and understanding. So I talk with my clients about this metaphor called the sailboat. And I like to imagine, and it's from an organization called Positive Psychology. So it's not my stuff, but it's a really good tool. So I like to imagine each one of us in our own sailboat. So doing all the things um, that it takes to sail often through stormy waters of our lives. So this year has definitely been that. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things we can control. But the waters isn't one of them, and the other sailboats is also not one of them. So each sailboat has a lot to consider and understand, such as self care, internal boundaries, assertiveness, symptoms of lots of different disorders, uh, but my area is abuse and trauma, levels of healing, etc. But before, before we can like successfully navigate this destination, which would be the goals in your life, uh, some people might reach that certain goal despite the leakiness of their boat, um, potential threat of sinking the boat, and the stormy waters, which is super interesting to me to discover. And I would put our spiritual self and our beliefs in the boat with us, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, sure. And sometimes I think people may be a little bit um, apprehensive or a little bit cautious or even afraid of seeking help. And the fact is, is we all struggle at times. We really do. Um, What kind of encouragement can you offer to someone who's like, Oh man, I'd really like to seek some help, but I'm just not quite able to take that step
0: yeah i think there's a myth around that that seeking help means you're less than or you're not human but we all live on somewhere on the spectrum of mental health so what i mean by that is at the lower end we may be experiencing something as simple as stress which we know isn't simple Um, but that's good and bad stress so healthy and unhealthy stress anxiety and depression then would go up from that and at the top end we may be experiencing things like psychosis or schizophrenia so in the middle um, are things like learning difficulties brain injuries psychosomatic disorders so things that um, affect our immune system and our nervous systems but it's also a mental disorder or a learning difficulty PTSD, bipolar and anything else, we as the helping professionals are still gaining understanding and clarity on. So we're fairly young in this whole um, spectrum of disorders, but if we as human beings are all on this mental health learning curve, we're sailing the seas of life, it's an invitation to simply discover more about yourself and your relationships. Alongside someone that's non-judgmental and open-hearted, with the clinical and spiritual background to respond appropriately to you, um, that may just help you understand the different waters of life that you're navigating um, in this massive massive ocean that you find yourself in. So we're all in it together, um, and. Yeah. Often the waters have been murky or stormy. Uh, Yeah. A lot of people that I've talked to this year, that's been the main theme that Mm. the waters just are not controllable and they're very stormy and big and overwhelming. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I was reading the other day um, and I can't remember where it was now, but I was reading the other day about mental health and, and study and how the half life on what um, goes on in, in in this field is it actually is fairly relatively relatively short. So you really like you know you talked about all the things you do, but I'm sure something else you do all the time is you're constantly studying and keeping up with all that stuff as well.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting to me, particularly you know about the COVID mental health and well being and the effects it might have on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a social worker, so. I tend to work from the inside out, whereas social workers, I describe it as they kind of gather from the outside and bring it in. So uh, we're very different creatures, but we are alongside one, else, one another. Um, but I have a s- small understanding of something called um, the thirds of the world and the motivators. So how I've been thinking about COVID is what might it be for the third of the world that's motivated by self-to-self relationship, what Mm -hmm. the next third of the people, which is the one-to-one relationship, and that's me. So I'm motivated by Mm -hmm. one-to-one. And then the final third of people are motivated by one-to-many relationships. So more one-to-group. So through the lens of the thirds, I was thinking about this. And I think, um, people are outwardly focused with the one to many group and Mm -hmm. the one to one. So I think it's affecting those people potentially in a negative way, but potentially in a good way because pressure isn't always a bad thing. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking we might be relating to this uh, and adapting to it differently to how it's expected to be um, mm. affecting us. So I think it's um, really interesting and growing us in ways that are unexpected. Um, and we're focusing on things like reducing stress and anxiety and depression levels, having awareness of relationships with self and others. and Yeah, if it was, or if it is, I'm not saying it is a social experiment, but I'm sure there's many psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, social workers, spiritual responders, psychotherapists paying particular attention to what's happening. And we're curious about the best ways to respond to people clinically and spiritually in the community during this season.
1: Mm, yeah, for us, when um, we've got a great crew of people that really dug in when we first said, okay, you can't meet in person anymore, and we, you know, had to redo everything. And like you say, though, I mean, there, there are definitely some positives we've seen, we have seen come from it. One of those is we've, you know, we've got an, a, a much larger online presence as a church, for instance, than we've ever had. And we had to kind of learn how to work with people without actually doing it in person and so I mean it's been it's been interesting it's been a learning experience it's been fun in some ways and hard in others but I think overall I really I mean i personally I'm completely convinced that on you know when we get to the other side of this whatever that's gonna be or look like we're gonna be better off for it I really think so um, struggle on yeah. the way through but we'll get there
0: yeah and it's interesting because i also teach my clients that the mixture of good and bad stress is actually not a bad thing um, it's it's getting us to that peak performance zone and um, a guy in america michael Gervais, um, talked about it in his podcast and he, he's a performance psychologist. And he talks about good and bad stress and this thing that military people try to hit, which is the Goldilocks zone. And it's like the peak of good and bad stress. So at the top of that bell curve, that's the Goldilocks zone. So they're always trying to get to that place. So mm-hmm. I think COVID, could possibly be pushing us to something like a goldilocks zone in a Mm -hmm. social setting because
1: yeah yeah, i don't know yeah Mm that's
0: just one other thing
1: (laughs) i've got one for you natalie and this one this one's kind of a uh, always interesting to hear people's opinions on this one in particular but what um what effect might social or social media you know, it, it's, it's here, it's part of how we live, it's part of who we are now really as a culture, as a society. And what effect do you think that may have on people's mental health and emotional health?
0: Yeah, the influence of all types of media is what I thought of when I was thinking about this as an idea. Um, mm. And it, I guess that media mountain has been there from for for a very long time and been building and you know adapting and growing Um, so like most things in life media can be used for the purpose of good and evil so i think people need to be discerning filtering and discarding the barrage of information that is put out there by those media giants or even the people that are celebrities and individuals that have a huge following um mm. the mountain of media is changing too because of our multi or our access to multimedia devices being more accessible. Mm. Um, so the majority of society these days, I guess, we're growing with it. Um, but it causes me to think about different topics, people, places that expand and contract. Um, according to society norms so where my brain went with this is Mm. if i was a social worker i may be curious about what are the social norms for people these days when it comes to media and have or how have those societal norms or expectations changed because of us needing media more in Mm. this context of covid
1: yeah. That's a really interesting thought. It's, it's, and we're, we're so bombarded with media. Um, you know, I, I read something the other day that, you know, an adult for the entire day is never out of arm's reach of their phone. And we yeah. spend a tremendous amount of time actually just looking at it. Um, there was another stat I heard. We spend like 34 years of our life looking at a screen now or something like that, which is a lot of time. Um, a lot of media consumption. Yeah.
0: It's definitely concerning in terms of our health and wellbeing. Um, And that's why I think it's up to the individual to discern and filter and discard the information that's not relevant or even limit time that they're spending in that space. Because I know I'm online a lot of the time now in context for work. Um, I find I'm very, very fatigued at the end of the day because i'm in front of a screen so it affects us in lots of different ways but i don't want us to live in fear about having those or having the access to the media and um, the social context of that because sometimes that's super healthy to be able to text somebody for instance or message them via those platforms and just reach out to them to connect so i think yeah having a healthy level of respect for what you want to get out of it um, without that fear um, but yeah humanity is a unique and complex beast <laughs> um, and we move individually and that's as unique as your fingerprint but no two people are the same so it's a rich environment on one hand, but it can also, um, I guess it can isolate you on the other hand. Mm. So, yeah, I guess I've been considering and pausing before responding to anyone on social media. And that's kind of my number one rule that I try to abide by personally. Um, But yeah, maybe creating and setting our own boundaries, um, and the criteria of what's important to us as individuals when engaging in social media is a good place to begin
1: yeah well thanks for that yeah that's helpful and, you know the irony of this being another form of media that we're in right now isn't lost on me but um, hopefully you know this is something that's helpful people for people um, instead of yeah harmful as some things can be but like you say, it's it's really kind of up to us, I suppose, to to filter and and decide what we're going to subject ourselves to or not.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: What are some things, and this is kind of important, going along with what we're doing this month. What are some things that um, the average person can do to maybe improve and also maintain their mental and emotional health and well being?
0: Yeah. Great question, by the way. And I think we can all begin with a thing called self-awareness. So when we're aware of something, it's like a light bulb switching on in our brain. Um, So I have a thing called a self-care blueprint that I'd love to give to the audience if they want it. Mm. Um, And it just measures different levels of self-care so it's your psychological professional spiritual um physical all the areas of self-care as a questionnaire kind of thing but i call it a blueprint because Mm -hmm. it kind of gives you a snapshot of where you might be lacking or needing adjustment for whatever reason so some people can improve their self-care by this step alone because it it raises their awareness. So some people would do this exercise, and then they'll be like, oh, I didn't even know that that was part of self care. Um, and so also I think the other approach is understanding that sailboat metaphor, um, is another good place to begin on having self awareness. So when I talk about the metaphor, it's indirectly discussing how you think your life may be going in terms of mental and emotional health. Um, so not all helping professionals utilize this metaphor, but you might want to look to booking in with somebody. Um, I definitely offer like a one hour free session for people to just see if we're the right fit. Mm. Um, but yeah, I could definitely gift that to you the self care blueprint, as a starting
1: point oh that would be cool is that um something that's available uh through your website or uh, yeah like you that? just or, okay. jump on to
0: there and i'll share that at the end if you like um, okay yeah yeah can we can go. talk
1: about um and if people might be interested in making contact with you and maybe meeting with you and getting that self-care blueprint yeah well at the end we'll uh put all that stuff up and so um people can get a hold of you if they'd like to that would be great sure
0: yeah and even um, other helping professionals like using these types of tools um so i encourage other colleagues definitely use it if you want to
1: Mm. yeah it is i like what you say about self-aware because sometimes we don't even we can be in a place where we're really stressed or really worried and not even really recognize that there's things that we could be doing to kind of help us cope with that and and deal with it in a good way a healthy way now you you um, how how much does does your faith play into your practice or come into practice
0: another great question and I think uh, underutilized superpower <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like to hold space for each individual and their own levels of beliefs values culture and faith mm-hmm. um, I have a multi-faith approach, which means I respect and focus on what the person in front of me believes and holds as their constant truth. So for each client, it's different. And therefore I respect each person in that place. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're co-creating that safe place for them because our beliefs is at our core. So my personal faith is part of the essence of who I am um, being open hearted, loving and responding to people. But, uh, it's more about the person that I'm helping. Um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And sure. my personal faith is at the core of my being as well, but it doesn't assert itself when I'm sitting with clients. So mm-hmm. in practice, I'm seeking to serve the other by co-creating that safe space, the understanding, the honest place that's right for that person that I'm collaborating with. So this is something I like to reflect on as part of my practice, Mm -hmm. um, by asking for feedback after each each session and overall uh, when I've completed a series of sessions with someone or a family or a couple, because it's super important to me to know that I'm sitting with someone appropriately and honoring them
1: mm-hmm. cool yeah I appreciate that and is there maybe a, a perspective on mental health that is and well-being emotional well-being that is um, maybe I don't know maybe uniquely Christian
0: there's a few people that um, I have as mentors and I've I've dived deeply into their research and their story and their journey. Um, So I like Dr. Caroline Leaf. She Mm. is a CBT um, neuroscience person who's worked to rehabilitate with traumatic brain injury, um, which is super fascinating to me and very complex, but I try to distill it down to a simpler place or a metaphor or a working model for my clients and I, Um, and she has a biblical basis to her science basically. So um, she backs up everything that she talks about with that biblical perspective. Um, And then the other person that's a bit left field is Graham Cook. Um, Mm -hmm. He is actually, um, I think, He's, in, he's an interesting creature, but his mm-hmm. perspective to me is biblical mindfulness. Um, so he has this unique perspective on meditation, prayer, prophecy, spiritual responses that speak to people's potentials,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that's what I love about him. So I would draw on both of these models of spiritual and clinical responding that's evidenced by the Bible. But has real life scientific cases that evidence um, why we want to increase our mental health and well being. So yeah, they're the mm, two yeah. that I would choose.
1: Yeah, I've actually read uh, a couple of uh, Dr. Leaf's books. She's great. My wife has uh, heard her speak. Um, yeah, I enjoy her stuff. She's she, it's really interesting to read the neural pathways. I've learned a lot from her. She's pretty, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, but very, very complex. And I find Mm. a lot of it goes over people's heads unless you're diving deep in there um, and unpacking it for yourself. Mm. But yeah, I've, I've been privileged enough to see her speak. I think one of the first times in Australia Um, and yeah, I've watched her journey pretty closely from that early days when she wasn't as popular as she is now. So mm. yeah, it's been good to watch that.
1: Yeah. I've got to uh, have I've, I've, there's some questions that people have I've heard people ask and sometimes, you know, even they come to me with and stuff like that. And one of those is uh, how, how do I deal with conflict in a healthy way? And that's, that is a pretty big question, but maybe um, you could, offer us some, some help with that, you know, and when, when I do have conflict, whether it be at work or home with family member, you know, the neighbor, whatever, what are some healthy ways to deal with that?
0: Yeah. And again, um, I'd like to offer a gift of just a one page guide on conflict mm-hmm. resolution. So I find this is pretty important and a bit of a theme across Uh, all types of mental health and wellbeing um, topics. So um, yeah, I'm offering the guide to help with that topic of conflict resolution. Um, But for some of my clients, they may not like that term even. They might want to know it as problem solving. And yeah, so I'll adapt to the language of the client because I know some people just it strikes fear to their, to the core of them. <laughs> if we say conflict.
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So problem solving is a bit of a gentler term that I would use with certain clients. Um, or I'll ask them how they want to um, interact with that. Um, so the one page guide helps to define and establish ground rules first. Then it explains a step-by-step process to finding resolution from the conflict. And that's a really um, simple force, four or five steps, actually, I think it's only four. So it's super simple. Um, And then it provides a framework for moving forward with that process as like a weekly or monthly or quarterly exercise to do with the person that you might be experiencing conflict with. So having something that explicitly helps people have awareness and understand and be guided through a process um, has proven very, very effective for my client base. Um, There's a deeper nuanced specific work that can be done when this basic process is practiced with success. And that's probably when they're working alongside me as a psychotherapist we will integrate a few other things into that space so that people can really draw on all the resources available to them. Um, So there's only probably one thing I'd say, or a couple of things I'd say to finish um, is compromise is a win lose. So if we remember that, and negotiation and collaboration are key to remembering um, that in any relationship that experiences conflict, these two things move people towards their win-win. Um, and that was shared with me just recently at a PD with one of my colleagues, Sue Jalen, who um, founded MetaNeo, which um, she does a lot of work with couples. So she's, this is right in her area of expertise and she's amazing with conflict resolution. But I kind of distill it down to that one page guide and then go from there. But yeah, you're welcome to have that as a free resource too.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. Because I know, um, I. let's see, my wife and I have been married, how long, Twenty. I think it's 28 years this year. I really should know 27 or 28 years. One of the two, I'm sure she'll, she'll straight me out on that, but, um, <laughs> we you know, going through our marriage and starting out and we, you know, we learned everything the hard way. And I would so encourage people, if, if you are struggling with conflict in your marriage or anywhere for that matter, you know, go to someone and get some help, just a little bit of insight on that can be extremely helpful. Um, you know, it's, Most it's, it's definitely, po- yeah, it 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 can be so helpful, and it you know it doesn't have to be as miserable as it is sometimes. Um, I know, we 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 we're kind of funny. We've made up a couple of simple rules over the years for fighting, and one of them is no name calling, and the other one is we never talk about divorce, and it's worked out pretty good for the most part. Um,
0: yeah, there are definitely guidelines to communicating when it comes to conflict resolution, so you're on the right path sometimes you just need to go a little bit deeper. Um, mm-hmm. the other resource that I know is absolutely incredible in this space is the Gottman Institute. Um, and I think they're on the coast or you can look up Gottman Institute or Gottman trained, uh, psychotherapists mm-hmm. or counselors and they will really help you in that space of definitely marriage. So, yeah it's a really special calling on someone's life to work with couples um i work with families mostly so when Mm -hmm. it comes to conflict resolution i'm unpacking it with a family setting um so sometimes it's husband and wife but sometimes it's parent to child or Mm -hmm. yeah just resolving things really but the more you resolve things the happier it is, I think. Mm, (laughs) So it's getting to that sweet spot.
1: Mm, It is nice having a peaceful household for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, And some people are super motivated by peacekeeping. So that's important (laughs) to respect.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That, that kind of leads into, um, thinking about forgiveness and sometimes conflict resolution may involve that, but what part does forgiveness play? In mental and emotional health and well-being.
0: Mm, yeah, another really good question. So, if an individual would like to pursue nev- new levels of spiritual and mental freedom, that's where I think forgiveness and a greater understanding of grace can come in. Um, so, other faiths might have different language around this topic. So, it's important to value and respect whatever that looks like for a person that we may be responding to. So the main thing to remember is that forgiveness doesn't mean we have to have a relationship with that person moving forward, um, when we're forgiving them. So, Mm. and that freedom of choice comes in and the free will and the boundaries also need considering when we're approaching forgiveness. Um, I had to do this really uh, massively when I was in my teens because my parents divorced when I was six. Um, mm. so I'm self disclosing a little bit here, but I think your audience could handle that. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I guess I ha- I had to hit the issue of forgiveness big time in my teens and figure out what level of freedom I wanted mentally and spiritually and when i learned that yeah i just it really did give me new freedom so Mm. that's what i think it equals
1: yeah i think forgiveness when i've talked to people about forgiveness in particular i think one thing that people sometimes misunderstand about forgiveness is forgiving someone's not saying what they've done is okay yeah and that's that's often i think something that we might get hung up on or confused about it's not saying that it's okay it's just it's really the, the forgiveness is really for the person doing the forgiving isn't it i mean i think so. there will be yeah as much you yeah
0: know, hmm. yeah because you're kind of letting yourself out of that captivity of bitterness and um emotional turmoil is how i see it so someone's in the mess of all that emotional turmoil and when forgiveness comes in and there's an understanding of that and it's really connected with then the person just opens their own um captivity door really and so that's why i'm saying it's freedom because sometimes we really need to get out of that captivity um, in order to move forward and embrace life and even just have different levels of understanding of someone that's different to us. Um, So there could be a world of hurt driving that person that you're forgiving, but it really, yeah, it changes things because you, it's like you come out of that blind spot and you're able to take those blinkers off and yeah, just find a different level of freedom and safety, I think
1: yeah and i know in in my own life and i'm sure for many people that forgiveness is is a process almost it's i can't just say well i forgive you and and necessarily have the benefit of it it's it's a process that has to be worked through as well i think
0: yeah it's definitely cyclic so um i think we spin around the cycle of forgiving
1: and Mm -hmm. grace
0: and boundaries often (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. That'd be at the core of a person, I would think, who is really focusing on self care and really wanting to understand themselves better and their relationships. So yeah, it speaks to a lot of different things, um, especially when it comes to violence. Um, And I would even say grief and loss is part of this. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I don't want to open that up, though,
1: (laughs) too much. No, I understand.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to it. It's not just the cookie cutter once and you're done.
1: Mm. It's
0: definitely a cycle, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, that could be um, a a, a few podcasts in and of itself, couldn't it?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Could Mm. talk for days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember uh, back to uh, my first year in seminary, my I had a uh, a professor there that had the class memorize Philippians chapter four, and I never really came to grasp <laughs> why until years later but uh there in uh, Philippians chapter four verses eight and nine Paul says, Well, think on these things, and he talks about things that are good and pure and um this may go back to Carolyn Leaf a little bit now that you brought her up that's kind of cool what what effect is what we think about? how does that affect who we are you know mentally and emotionally what kind of effect does that have on us what we think about
0: yeah another great question and pretty deep um Hmm. but a lot of the time it seems we're having an internal battle of our minds so the mind will and emotions i like to group that as the core of who we are and it's identified or termed as the soul. So when I talk about someone's soul, I'm talking about their mind, their will and emotions with them. So if we think something to be true, our brain does not hold prejudice and we just believe it. So neuroscience and research and the work of Dr. Leaf explains that. Um, And she says if we think on something for 21 plus days, our brain creates a good or bad thought or learning pattern. Um, So this is part of her geodesic information processing model, which is technical talk (laughs) Mm -hmm. for something that's way more complex than how I'm distilling it with you now. But basically it's the understanding of how, this may begin to form the essence of who we are. Um, Or that's my takeaway from her research. So I also like explaining to people about an interlocking doors concept that was created by Craig and Jan Hill. Um, They run Family Foundations International in the States. I think Colorado they're based, but they also have a branch in Australia Um, And so people, when they're understanding the interlocking doors concept, can begin to understand relationships held between their own spirit, their soul, which is their mind, will and emotions, and their body. So the concept basically helps us understand that we're a complex creation. Mm. In nanosecond timing, there's this information highway, of our body, which is our cells, our tissues, our muscles and our flesh, that transports our five senses to a myriad of responses, mainly between the body and soul, firstly. So then if we allow the soul and the spirit to communicate, we're closing off the door to the body and soul and opening up the door to the soul and the spirit. And then that can happen vice versa. So that's how the interlocking doors concept comes in. I'm not sure if that's easy to um, understand without a visual, but hopefully I've done what I can to explain Mm. that. But we can begin to understand the interlocking doors concept when um, we're noticing exactly what is happening for us internally. So this then helps us close off the door between the body and soul, which tends to be, I think the ratio of heavy lifting is like an 80-20% ratio, which I learned the other day and I thought, my goodness, the body is 80% of that communication and only 20% the soul is doing. But. I like to think of it as if we're using the interlocking doors, we're balancing up that relationship between the body, the soul and the spirit. And the spirit, in my opinion, is our superpower, like I said before. And that's, yeah, that's something we can always learn to help us soothe and regulate, which Mm -hmm. is part of spiritual practice like meditation and prayer, they speak to our nervous system. So yeah, I just think yeah, it's so complex, but we can view it in a simple way to just get our minds about what's happening and also how to navigate that moving forward.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's that is a very interesting thing and how, you know, those things that we think and how we're connected and and there were different parts but the same person it is it is very interesting and i had a, a few people um wanted me to ask a, a, a few different questions here as we're kind of you know heading towards that the uh, the end of our time but one of them was what daily habits can you establish to overcome anxiety and keep mentally strong because i know a lot of people deal with anxiety, you know, and, and to, to very different degrees, but it's something that a lot of people deal with. So, what daily habits can you establish to overcome anxiety and keep mentally strong?
0: Okay, I've been working a lot in this space recently because a lot of people that are coming to me have different levels of anxiety and depression and stress. Mm. So, the first thing and the greatest thing to do is self soothe and regulate techniques um so i can share that with you but they're not going to have a visual <laughs> yeah, um, that's all right. but one of the ones i love the most and it's the simplest and i do this with kids a lot um, it's your right hand and you're just basically um chris you can see me so you can mm see what's happening but just mm-hmm. get some clarity if you need um, but it's your right hand and your thumb is out like an L and you're gonna place it under your left arm mm-hmm. and just sit it there and then the left hand can just rest on top of the other arm it's kind of like you're giving yourself a bear hug but mm. you're not squeezing <laughs> you're just sitting there okay this is a very um, brilliant way to self-soothe and regulate your nervous system. And immediately my tone of voice changes. I slow down. I'm breathing better. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. How is this for you, Chris?
1: That's interesting. It's, it's fascinating how that works. How something like that can change your demeanor and the way you even speak. So yeah, just kind of a self-regulation technique. That's cool.
0: Yeah. So sometimes I'll sit in the room with my clients and model this to them Mm -hmm. and they will copy me and mirror that because that's part of our nervous system and our brain wanting to mirror somebody else's nervous system. So that's a really helpful thing too. So if you're feeling anxious, Get around someone that's calm. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, My husband is a massive peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll go and just sit with him (laughs) if I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed. Um, Uh, That works too. So, yeah, they're just a couple of ideas, but I go through a few other techniques like dropping anchor, which is um the acceptance commitment therapy technique.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you, your audience could look that up if they wanted to. Um, and then there's a few other ones that are more like just regulating your body so that it tells your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system to interact and communicate. And your parasympathetic is the one that rests and digests Mm -hmm. and your sympathetic is the one that fight, flight, freeze, collapse. So Mm -hmm. we want to kind of switch one of them off and switch one of them on. So when we're self-soothing, regulating, we're switching on the rest and digest parasympathetic part of our autonomic nervous system if people want the technical term, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) which they probably don't. (laughs) Um, it's always helpful just to understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we're like, I don't need all the technical stuff. I just want to get control of this anxiety.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So Mm. hopefully those couple of easy ones at the beginning of what I, when I started talking about this, Mm -hmm. um, those self-soothing regulating things can definitely at least reset the nervous system.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. And and another question we had was, how do you deal with negative emotions?
0: Yeah, so this again is a bit of a tricky one. So it's like, we need to have awareness of them first. So we need to identify them. So sometimes clients will come and they actually, they're having trouble to even identify what is happening for them in terms of their negative emotions, then I would move them to a place of embracing and inviting that process to, or the processing of the emotions, even if they're negative, is more helpful than trying to exile or push away the negative emotions. So I really love Peter Levine's approach which talks about Titration, which is giving yourself tiny little doses of the negative emotion over time and learning to tolerate that and embrace that. Mm. And then pendulating is when we swing violently between those negative emotions, um, but we're wanting to pendulate back to the middle ground, which is usually your meditative spiritual core beliefs self. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I'm distilling this down to a very simple concept, but Mm -hmm. that's the basis of it. So I'd say embrace negative emotions or learn to.
1: Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I guess they can be, they can have a larger effect almost when you try to fight them and push them away than if you just kind of accept them, like the acceptance and commitment therapy you're talking about.
0: Yeah, in a way. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think exiling the part of yourself that is actually a signal to you. It's a sign, um, that you need to respond to yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes we're releasing that negative emotion because it might be something like we need to, our body needs to cry to release or our body needs to respond because our body will eventually keep the score of all that negative stuff. So that's something that Bessel van der Kolk talks about when he talks about trauma. Um, our bodies do keep the score.
1: Mm. So those kinds of things can over time can kind of build up. Is that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we need to actually respond. So we need to, Uh, definitely when it comes to trauma, the big thing is learning to respond in a way that just swings between those things because we can't exile it. We need to learn to embrace and identify them. Mm. Um, but I'm talking about massive, big problems that Mm. occur or symptoms that happen out of trauma. Um, so they're super negative emotions.
1: Okay. Yeah. Another question that came up was, what do you tell your brain when you're in a slump? I know that, um, there are times when we probably, there's probably times that everybody feels that loss of passion and maybe a little bit stagnant or discouraged and there people wonder, you know, okay, what do I do when I'm in that kind of a situation? So what what can someone do to help, help themselves?
0: Again, I really think this is a sign to reconnect with yourself. Sometimes what that means is reconnecting with beliefs, Mm -hmm. values, culture, and identifying your purpose, your identity, and maybe the calling on your life. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: that's where I would go, um, if I'm working with someone.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because I suppose what gave you your, your passion and motivation in the first place would have been those very things that you talked about and reconnecting with those would be a very helpful thing to do for sure.
0: Yeah. And and potentially redefining it sometimes.
1: mm, Yeah. Yeah. Redefining. That's great. Something else we need to do occasionally. And we've got one more question for you before we wrap things up how can you break the pattern of dwelling on the past
0: <laughs> this one's super easy for me <laughs>
1: oh, great! Cool. because
0: um yeah even if someone has trauma we don't have to recollect or we don't have to go there again we don't have to re-traumatize someone so This dials back to where we began with the questions from other people and it's self-soothing and regulating, Mm -hmm. mindfulness techniques like coloring in, doing your hobby, also working with a helping professional like me that utilizes cognitive behavior therapy, solution-focused therapy and integrative approaches Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: can help accelerate things like your awareness, your understanding, and moving you pretty much from point A to point B instead of trying to tough it out and do it all on your own without the support
1: mm. yeah that having that support is very helpful something we need so uh, again Nanley, I'm so thankful I know we've, we're in about an hour already it just flew by it goes so quickly but before we wrap up um, are you taking on clients or is that something you're doing yeah. currently
0: Yes, I'm actually um, rolling out my very very special transform from trauma um, membership package. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super affordable, um, and I'm I'm also working with private clients as well. So it depends if you're the right fit for either one of these things. Mm-hmm. But the starting point for all of it, and the free resources that we've talked about is if you go over to my website, which is cogniacademy.online. So, um, that link, I guess, could be put in the show notes. I'm not sure, but, um, definitely I'll get that to you so that you could okay. do that. Cool. Um, otherwise people can simply just pick up the phone and call me and mm-hmm. we can have a conversation as a starting point, or I'm on Instagram which is at Aussie counseling and that's spelt the Aussie way, which is counseling with two L's. (laughs) (laughs) So I've noticed that a bit of an anomaly because I have a lot of people from the States, um, interacting with me for supervision. So,
1: um, Mm.
0: I know we spell things differently and that can be hard to translate. Uh, Um, Auto, auto
1: autocorrect gets me on that one all the time. I'm always (laughs) wrong. Whichever way I pick, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Um, so, if for those people that ever have experienced abuse and trauma, particularly that near death experience, um, and want to continue their healing journey with support from me, uh, you can register your interest um, in my one to one Transform from Trauma Masterclass, is the starting point. And mm-hmm. again, I'll send you the link. Um, Chris, if that's okay. Um, Yeah, please do. That'd be great. Pop it in the show notes. No problems. Mm
1: -hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. You send me that stuff and people can go to your website and have a look at those resources and you're on Facebook as well. Um, Yeah. I'd like to follow you there.
0: Yeah. I have um, pages that they're just separated into supervision and counseling um, Mm -hmm. because I found that it was too tricky to try to amalgamate the two. So (laughs) I've separated it to Aussie counseling and Aussie supervision, just so that there's some clarity around that.
1: Awesome. Well, Natalie, I I think we'll pull up there if that's all right with you. And I'm I'm super grateful for taking the time. I know you're obviously very busy and you're also very insightful and we certainly appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to people about this topic. Um, And I wish you all the best for future podcasts and whoever else comes after me. Um, (laughs) But It's been a delight. And yeah, I'm really happy to have shared all that I have.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe we can do it again someday and talk about some of those things that we'd like to get into more.
0: Yeah, that'd be perfect. No problems at all.
1: All right, Natalie, thank you so much, and yeah, have a great rest of your day and a great rest of the year, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for listening in today. You can find out more at hinderlandbaptist.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. A special thanks goes out to our team of volunteers who makes this podcast possible. I hope you found it helpful, and I will be praying for your health and well-being. Have a great day.